So there's five shopping days left till Christmas. Are we ready? Are we done? Everybody finished? Christmas wrapped up tight? I, I don't know about you. We're, we're way behind. I don't know what it is about this Christmas, but we are, we are further behind this Christmas than, than I can remember. <clears throat> so we're, we're running fast to kind of catch up. And I spent some shopping time yesterday and the day before. Um, I love Christmas. Just want to re- reinforce that for those of you who haven't been with us uh, this season. Love everything about it, the decorations, the, the, the music. I love the gift giving. As a matter of fact, Julie figured out a few years ago that she needed to give me the list and let me go by because if she didn't, I would go buy everybody something else that wasn't on the list just so I got to go be out there and be a part of that whole gift-giving deal. I love the, everything about Christmas and this gift-giving ideal. Obviously, you're in church, so, so you know this goes back 2,000 years ago. The whole thing started. It didn't start with Santa Claus and the elves. That's great. Glad they're doing their job. But really, this idea of giving to one another and celebrating this season with gifts goes all the way back to the very first Christmas, and that's what we're talking about. It's our first Christmas here at Journey, if this is your first week with us. It's our first Christmas that we've ever celebrated as a church, and it, it, during this first Christmas for us, we're talking about the very first Christmas that ever happened. And uh, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read the story of how gift-giving became a part of this season Matthew chapter 2, it's the very first book in the New Testament. If you have your Bible Bible with you, uh, or if you have an app or whatever, open that up. If you're following along on version, the scriptures are in there. They'll be on the screen as well. This is how Matthew begins chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So Matthew begins this part of the story by saying after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And the reality is we don't know the definition of after. We don't know how long after it was. Best guess is somewhere between his first birthday and his second birthday, 18 months, something like that. And, and I know that we put our nativity sets together and we have the wise men and the shepherds and the animal, everybody all together. And that's fine. They're all really a part of this story. Uh, but the wise men don't come into the story until year, year and a half, close to two years later after Jesus was born and then the interesting, maybe you haven't thought about this, Mary and Joseph are still in Bethlehem. And we don't know that story either. They were living in Nazareth, and maybe they went back after Jesus was born and spent some time there. For whatever reason, they have relocated and are living in Bethlehem. They're not still in the stable or the cave or whatever place it was. They're not still where Jesus was born. They're, you know, they're, they're renting a flat or something. They're, they've, they're, they moved to a townhome or somewhere and, and that, so they're living permanently now in Bethlehem. And, and then there's this character we meet. And we've heard his name a lot. This is a guy named King Herod. He is uh, a ruler from Rome, and he's been placed in charge of this particular area. I don't want to go into too much detail, but just a little bit of background about him. Herod is one of the most unpredictable um, paranoid, ruthless, violent leaders you're ever going to meet. And the older he gets, 
the more paranoid he becomes. Uh, because during that time, it was not uncommon for kingdoms to be overthrown. Herod's leading a group of people that by and large don't like him. He's been put over the Jewish people and they don't like that. So rebellion could come from them. It could come from somebody within Rome that just has aspirations of moving up the social ladder and the political ladder. And so Herod, the older he gets, the more paranoid he becomes about his position uh, to the extent that he ends up killing, executing people if he thinks they're trying to take his crown, uh, including one of his sons, one of his wives. He begins to build fortresses in the area so that if somebody tries to overthrow him, he'll have somewhere to run and somewhere to hide. So we've got this paranoid, violent, ruthless leader in charge at the beginning of this story. Then we have a group of guys called the Magi, or we call them the wise men often. And we don't know a lot about them. It's kind of a mysterious group uh, that shows up in the Christmas story. We're, we're not real sure where they're from. We know they're not from Israel. They're from some other country or some translations say a distant country, somewhere in the east. Exactly where that was, we don't exactly know. We, we sing a Christmas carol about them, right? We three kings from Orient are. And we, we get almost all of the history wrong in that in that Christmas carol, because we don't, we don't know that there were three of them. It could have been five or eight or a dozen. We assume three because there were three gifts, right? But probably more of them. Um, and, and they weren't kings in the way that we would, not like King Herod is a king. Like they didn't rule over uh, a particular region or country or even city or territory. They were magi. Uh, we get the word magician from this word, magi. They were um, sort of spiritual, superstitious advisors to the leaders. And they used all kind of manner to come up with their, with their advice, uh, astrology being one of the big ones. I mean, they really, they were, they were early fortune tellers. Kind of palm reader guys. They, they looked at the heavens and they, they kind of devised scientifically, spiritually, magic. They, they kind of devised what they thought was going to happen. And then they would, they would tell the court, hey, we think this is what's going to They're writing horoscopes, right? 2,000 years ago, they're creating horoscopes for the kings and for the leaders and saying, well, this is what we think, judging from what's happening. In the star. So, so much we don't know about them. Here's something we know about them. They did not believe in the God of the Old Testament. Like wherever they're from, they weren't worshipers of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Like they weren't a part of God's family. As a matter of fact, we know that a lot of what they did was the exact opposite of what God told people to do. Especially when it comes to this astrology and this interest in telling the future. God had been very clear in the Old Testament, don't do that kind of thing. Like, don't get involved in that sort of thing. And we meet wise men who are involved in all of these things that God couldn't have been pleased with, and yet they get invited into the story. I mean, they get this special invitation from God that said, hey, I know you don't believe in me. Right? I, I, I know you don't worship me. I know you worship things that you're not supposed to worship, but... I want a relationship with you. 
I want you to discover who Jesus is, just like I want my people to discover, the, the Jewish people, just like I want them to discover Jesus. I want you to discover Jesus. One of the beautiful things about the New Testament in particular is there is this emphasis on the gospel, the story of Jesus going to anybody and everybody. Yeah, you can come. Yeah, you, I want you to be close to my son. I want you to discover my son. Whether you believe everything right, whether you're doing everything right or not, there's this wonderful invitation from God. When it comes to the wise men, God even spoke in their language. He knew they were into astrology, and they weren't supposed to be, but God said, you know what, I'm going to use what, you're, what you know about to try to get you closer to me. I'm going to put a star, and again, we don't know a lot about the star. We, we, we've tried to describe it, uh, equate it to some astronomical uh, uh, events that took place around that time, but none of it's a real clear connection. And we definitely can't come up with a reason why it moved. Uh, verse 9, second part of verse 9, the Bible says, And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them. <clears throat> Until it stopped over the place where the child was. We don't have a real good explanation for that. We just know that God went to some guys that didn't believe in Him, didn't worship Him, didn't do the things they were supposed to do, and God said, come meet my son. Come, come meet the Messiah. And that invitation from 2,000 years ago is the exact same invitation that God gives today. Come on. Come on, you've heard, you've heard about Jesus. Come meet him. You see, what had happened in that part of the world is that stemming from the Old Testament prophecies, rumors had circulated even outside of Israel that a king was going to come from Israel. I mean, even in other lands, there was this rumor, this suspicion that one day something great is going to happen in Israel. We don't know what it is. And, and, and maybe... Maybe you've heard the rumor that there is a God and there is a Savior. And I can tell you, just like He invited Magi 2,000 years ago, He's inviting you. Come on, meet my son. Come on, meet the Messiah. Now, in order for the wise men to get from where they were to where Jesus was, they had to travel. And we don't know exactly how far. Some people think they may have traveled more than 900 miles just to get to Jesus. Now, how do you do that? 2,000 years ago, there's no planes, there's no cars, there's no trains, there's no mopeds, nobody's getting a hoverboard for Christmas 2,000 years ago, right? Like, you're, How do you cover 900 miles to get to Jesus? And it's, it's pretty simple. You just keep walking. You just leave where you are and you, you just keep walking towards where he is. You just keep moving every day, every night, more and more toward where Jesus is. That's how you get there. And I don't know where you're coming from this Christmas. I don't know your background. I, 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 I don't know where you've been or what you've done or, or your interest level in Jesus or, or, or how you close you feel to Jesus. What I can tell you is the way to get to him from where you are is to just keep moving towards him. Just keep walking towards him. Just, just go where he's telling you to go. Because for, for all of the things I don't know about this story, there are a couple of things I do know that apply to us. And the first one is this. Wherever you're coming from, the way to Jesus is to just keep walking in his direction. 
just keep moving towards Him. And, and maybe that's nine miles or nine minutes or 90 miles or 900 miles. Or you may think it's 9,000 miles from your life to where Jesus is. You know how to get there? Just, just keep moving towards Him. Just keep walking towards Him. Just keep orienting your life towards Him. And you will get there the same way the wise men did. Other thing I know from the story about us is if you want to find Christ, God will make sure you get there. I mean, if that's the intent of your heart, if you want to, if you want to know this Jesus, if you want to meet this Jesus, God begins to take responsibility for you getting there if that's what you want. He'll get you there. He will move you there. I, I, like I said, I have no idea how the star works. I don't know if it was a natural phenomenon or a supernatural or it started as a natural and it became a supernatural. I don't know how it moved and got in the right place for them. I don't even know how they kept their eye on it. Have you ever looked at the stars like when all the stars are out at night and there's no parking lights or no city lights? You're just out in the dark and you look up and there's just billions of them. And if you're like me... I can be looking at one, and if I look down for a second and I look back up, I can't remember which one I was looking at. I have an app on my phone that tells me which planets are up on any particular given night. Like you can see Mars if you look here and Venus if you look there. You can see this, uh, this particular uh, astronomical figure in the sky. Uh, you can notice this. By the time I look down at my app, and look back up, I've forgotten which one I was looking at. Like I can't identify. So I close one eye as if that's going to help. And then I kind of close the other eye. I don't know how they kept their eye on this star. I don't know how they knew, okay, the star's over that house or even that city. And when I look up at night, I'm never sure which one's over my house and which one's over my neighbor's house and which one's 10 miles away. It's just stars everywhere. And yet somehow... God spoke their language. God stepped into their world and said, look, if you want to find me, I will get you where you need to be. Just keep walking. Just keep walking. God is not like Google Maps. Ever use Google Maps? Ever punched in an address on your phone? We, uh, a year and a half ago, some of you have heard a part of this story. A year and a half ago, uh, we, we had to drive to South Georgia. <clears throat> I had to marry a cousin of my. I had to perform the ceremony. <clears throat> we weren't going to Alabama. We were going to South Georgia. <clears throat> Just kidding. Like, I'm from South Georgia. I got no room to talk about Alabama, right? Okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to officiate the wedding for a cousin of mine who's getting married to somebody else who's not our cousin. And... Um, we're, we're 30, 40 minutes away from the house, and we get a flat tire, change the tire, the spare's flat, get it to a gas station. About 9 o'clock at night, a uh, tow truck comes, picks us up. 10, 10.30 at night, we arrive at this place that will change the tire for us. And whatever picture you have in your mind of a place that changes tires at 10.30 at night, that's the place we were at. We were, we were at that place getting the tire changed at 10.30 at night. So we get back on the road about 11 o'clock. we got a couple of hours to go to a place that I've never been before. 
I've never been to this particular hotel resort place that we're going to for the wedding. So it's 1.30 in the morning, wife, three daughters. The car's loaded down because we're going on vacation after the wedding. So it's like packed full of stuff. And we're driving along South Georgia Road and the asphalt ends and dirt road starts. And I'm, I'm telling you the truth. A minute after we hit the dirt road, Google Maps said, get out and walk to your destination. <laughs> and we're surrounded by woods. We can see no light. Get out and walk to your destination. This is not how God leads us. Okay? You're never driving along spiritually and God says, good luck. Hope you find it. Just go sort of that way. I don't know. Just get out and walk until you find it. That's not the way God operates. And sometimes it feels that way in our spiritual journey. It feels like, God, I'm on a dirt road and there's nothing but woods and where am I going? But God's never going to say, that's as far as I can take you. Sorry. Get your luggage and start walking through the woods. Good luck. If, if you, if you want to know Jesus this Christmas, if you want to be with Jesus, if you want a relationship with Jesus, God will make sure that you get there. Because here's the thing. God's more interested in you having a relationship with Jesus than you are. And God has plans for you meeting Jesus and living with Jesus and being Jesus uh, being adopted into God's family through Jesus. God desires that even more than you do. And so if there is any desire in your heart to give your life to Christ, to come to know Jesus, keep walking. God will get you there. In verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. So Herod's back in the picture. The wise men come to him, and they tell him everything that they're doing, and they're, they believe the king has been born, king of the Jews. They've come to worship him. And, and they mean worship him as in they come to show their respect. They, they weren't a follower of God yet, but they sensed this was a big deal and they wanted to show their respect. And they tell this whole story to Herod. And of course, Herod's paranoid. And the last thing he wants is another king in the region. So he says, why don't you go find him and then come back and tell him because I want to go worship him as well. And when that doesn't work, that falls through because God leads the wise men in a different direction. In verse 13, Herod decides, well, I'll just kill all the, all the baby boys two years and younger. I'll just wipe all of them out, and surely I'll get that one. And that doesn't work because God leads Mary and Joseph and Jesus down to Egypt to protect them until this threat is over. What I learned from Herod for us 2,000 years later is if we're trying to resist Jesus this Christmas, we're not going to win. 
Come up with whatever strategy you want. Herod had tons of strategies for how he was going to resist this new king, how he was going to get rid of this new king, and, and we can do that too. You know, maybe, maybe you're here, you know this story, like you grew up in church, like you know the whole thing, but there's just a part of you that keeps push, pushing Jesus away. There's a part of you that keeps Jesus at a distance. There's, there's a part of you that wants him at arm's length. You're not going to win. Okay. Life is not suddenly going to become more meaningful because you kept Jesus out. Life is not suddenly going to become more peaceful, more joy, joyful because you kept Jesus out. Herod tried everything he knew to do, and it didn't stop Jesus. And, and, and you're not going to stop Jesus either. The problem is Herod ends up ending the rest of his life, uh, living the rest of his life in the same mess he was in when Jesus comes into the world. I mean, you can leave Jesus out of your life. You're just not going to keep Jesus from accomplishing his purposes in the world. And you're going to be the one that misses out. You can try all you want. Christmas, 2016, the rest of your life, you can push and push and push. You're not going to stop Jesus. And then we get this phrase, it's not just Herod that was bothered. It was all of Jerusalem. What does all of Jerusalem mean? Some people think that because Herod was so crazy that if he was upset, everybody was worried about what he would do. But more people tend to think this is a reference to the religious leaders. They get mentioned in the next little phrase there. This is a reference to the, 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 the Hebrew religious people they had carved out a nice little spot for themselves politically and socially in Jerusalem. They had learned how to work within the system of Herod. They had sort of become friends with him. They, they had sort of compromised some of the edges of their belief system so that they could get accepted politically and socially in that culture. And the last thing they needed was somebody messing that up. They, they had... They had figured out how to kind of manage their religion so nobody got offended and nobody got hurt and nobody got confronted. And we just kind of go along with the political system here. And if we're not careful, we can have that same tendency. In the world that we live in, we can move towards, let's, let's just kind of get along. Let's, find, let's don't speak up. Let's not confront. Let's, let's not speak out. Let's carve out for ourselves a nice little acceptable religious position in the world where we live. Here's the problem. If we're trying to manage our spirituality in that way, we aren't really following Jesus. Because Jesus never managed his message. Jesus never tried to make his message acceptable to everyone. Jesus never tried to find the political party that he fit into and, and adopt their platform. Je Jesus never tried to conform to the accepted beliefs and morals and direction of his culture. He, he ran counter to all of that. And if you and I are trying to manage our spirituality in that sort of way, then maybe we aren't following Jesus. 
A lot of our spirituality today, I think, is a, a desire for comfort, but not a desire to be confronted. We want our religion to comfort us and bring us peace and affirm us. We don't want our religion to confront us where we need to change. We want our spiritual experience to commend us but never convict us. I just want to fit. I just want a nice place. I just want a nice feeling. I just want to be affirmed. It's it's just that when you read the Gospels of this child who was born in Bethlehem and then grew and then began to teach... He did not teach a conforming message. He taught a message that convicted people in their hearts and caused them to want to change and be different and live differently. He he, he taught a message that sometimes got in people's faces. He wasn't arrogant about it. He wasn't mean-spirited about it. But he was okay challenging the dominant beliefs of his culture and his world. And you and I have to be that way as well. Uh, Of course, they didn't want a Messiah. Of course, they didn't want Jesus. Because Jesus had a way of confronting the parts of them that needed to change. Verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This is the most well-known part of the story. They finally get to Jesus, and they've brought these gifts a great distance, and they present gold and frankincense and myrrh. And these, these gifts would be practical gifts. They would be needed by Mary and Joseph in the years to come. They were symbolic gifts foreshadowing some of the things that were going to happen to Jesus in the future. But the question for us today is not so much about their gifts. The question for us is, what are we giving this Christmas? What are we bringing to Jesus? And by gifts, by bringing to Jesus, I I'm not primarily talking about financial gifts. I I don't think what Jesus wants, I don't think what God wants from us this Christmas is primarily some sort of financial number. I, I don't think it's a symbolic gesture that He's most wanting us to give to Him this Christmas. I think it's pretty clear what He wants is us. What He wants is for me to surrender me to Him. Not to bring something in my hand, but to bring myself, to bring my heart, to bring my everything. To stop holding back parts of my life and say, okay, Jesus, you can have this percent of me, but this percent of me is reserved. And I'm calling the shots over here. Jesus, you can be king over this part of my life. I'm still going to be king over this part of my life. What God is asking for this Christmas and And every Christmas and every day is that I come fully, 100% saying, all of me is yours. Everything about me is yours. My future is yours. My relationship is yours. My motives, my heart, my agenda, yours. You are the king of me. You are the king of everything. And maybe some of you have done that. 
Maybe this is just a part of your life is, is that everything has already been surrendered to Jesus and this is just kind of a renewal, kind of a recommitment for you this morning, this Christmas to say, Jesus, once again, I just want to reaffirm, all of me belongs to you. All of my future belongs to you. All of my decisions, they belong to you. Or, or maybe you haven't done that yet. Maybe this is the day that you stop resisting this Jesus. You stop pushing this Jesus away. And you just surrender. You, you just admit He is the King and He deserves to be over our lives completely. And if not that, then maybe you'll take another step in His direction. Again, I, I don't know where you're coming from. I, I don't know if you think of yourself as a really good person or a sort of good person or not that great a person or whether you keep all the commandments or none of the commandments or somewhere. I don't know. Here's what I know. Is that Jesus invites you to come to him this Christmas. Jesus said, look, just, just step towards me. Just walk towards me. Just make a move towards me. Wherever you are today, just make a move towards me. Maybe in your heart, we're going to sing in just a minute. Maybe in your heart, maybe in your mind, you just say that to Jesus. Jesus, I don't even know what this means completely. I I don't know how to quantify this, but I want to move towards you. Speaking of walking, speaking of taking steps toward Jesus. When I read this story again this week, I was struck that after coming to Jesus, the wise men they walk a different path than they walked before. And, and I know the story, I know the history and the, and the practicality of it is that an angel is telling them to go back a different way. Don't go back to Herod and tell him what he wants to know. You go a different way, but kind of symbolically, isn't that what Jesus does for us when we come to him? I mean, when we really come and surrender our lives to Christ, when we recognize him as Messiah, don't we start walking new paths? And we start going in new directions. Don't, aren't there things in our life that begin to change? Maybe not all at once. Maybe not everything just totally changes overnight. But there begins to be this movement into a new direction for my life because Jesus has come into me. Because Jesus is now the King and Messiah over my life. I begin to walk new paths, new, new places. And, and if you aren't walking new places, this is a perfect day to ask why. Like if you claim to have met Jesus, but nothing's really changed in you. Not, nothing's becoming new. No, there are, there are new, new paths that have happened in you since coming to Jesus. Why is that? Why is that? And, and how does that change today? So maybe, maybe there are two big questions we need to leave with. And, and it's not the question of have I arrived, like am I there? The first one is just the question, what direction am I going? Like today, this Sunday, this service, if I, if I was really honest about my life, am I moving towards Jesus or away from Jesus? Am I taking steps? Maybe not a lot of them. or Maybe I haven't traveled very far. But am I taking steps towards Jesus? Or am I taking steps away from Him? Or, I guess, third option... Am I just standing still? I feel like I'm not going anywhere right now. Maybe that's something you talk to Jesus about. You talk to God about in the next few minutes. Is God, 
I want to move towards you. I want to take a step towards you. And then second question, what do I need to give to Jesus this Christmas? What part of me am I withholding? What is keeping me from giving everything over to Him? What part of my life do I just need to surrender back to Him today? And maybe it's a, maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a, an attitude of our heart. Or maybe it's a situation in your life. Like, I'm trying to fix this, and I'm trying to do this and wrestle this. And, and Jesus, this is my gift to you. It's kind of a mess, but I can't fix this. I, I need you. Maybe that's your gift to him this Christmas. Is that part of you that you're trying so hard to solve without him? That you would surrender to him. Whatever it is, give it today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for a story of people who were far from you. People who didn't believe in you, didn't worship you, weren't interested in you, didn't know about you. As a matter of fact, they were doing a whole bunch of stuff they shouldn't have been doing. And on the first Christmas, you said to them, come meet my son. And I just believe there are people here this morning that they came in here feeling very far from you, very distant from you, a long way from you. And you're saying to them, come meet my son. I mean, at least start walking towards him. I'll get you there. If you'll just start walking, I'll get you there. Help him not to hold back. Help him not to protect parts of their lives that they just need to surrender. They just need to give over to you. They just need to follow you. And whether they have all the answers or not, whether they're doing what they think they're supposed to be doing, none of that matters. What matters right now is... The condition of our hearts that say, I'm going to move towards you today. I'm going to step towards you. And I'm going to let you get me the rest of the way. I'm going to move. I pray it in Jesus' name. I'm going to invite you to stand.